Hello and welcome to a new episode of the Workplace Revolution with me, Sihle Bolani. Like finances, the law, legalese, attorneys and court can be very overwhelming and intimidating for many people. And oftentimes those feelings of being overwhelmed lead to people not wanting to invest in learning or understanding certain aspects of the law, which means that we miss out on the parts that would actually be beneficial to us or protect us in the present or the future. When we talk about prenups, so many people feel offended by the idea of their partner potentially requesting one. When we talk about child maintenance, just thinking about the process makes many moms not even bother to pursue maintenance through the courts. And customary marriages? Are they or aren't they legally recognized and what does it mean for customary wives? Joining me for today's conversation is Tibelo Mutswane, who is an attorney, a consultant at Rams Incorporated, and she's also managing director at Collective Intelligence Legal Consultants. In 2018, Tibelo established Sister in Law, her passion project, after noting that women would often approach her for legal insights pertaining to their households and domestic violence. Sister-in-Law is a platform dedicated to empowering women and the community through legal education, and it also extends to creating awareness around gender-based violence and facilitating campaigns which encourage women and children to speak out against gender-based violence and encouraging men to speak up and act against injustices faced by women and children. Dibelo, thank you so much for joining me for today's conversation. Sihe, thank you for an explosive introduction. <laughs> thank you. So let's start at the beginning. Um, won't you just talk us through, you know, your your career, why law, um, and how did you get to a point where you decide to invest so much of your time and your expertise in assisting women in particular understand and empower themselves with the law? Mm-hmm. So, honestly speaking, law wasn't um, part of the plan. Like, you know how people know from a young age that they want to be doctors or teachers or, you know, that they want to be policemen, for example, all these things that we were exposed to as children. For me, law was never in my realm. Mm. I had my grandfather all the time telling me that I always advocate for um, why we should play outside or um, why the neighbor's dog should be let free or, you know, just random things, speaking up for my siblings. And he'd always tell me, you're going to be a lawyer one day. You're going to be a lawyer one day. You're Mm. so expressive. Um, Still, I parked that at the back of my head and I didn't really want to pursue it. When I was in matric, I actually wanted to pursue drama. And my mom was like, are you sure? I wanted to pursue either drama or journalism. Mm. And my mom was like, okay, does that mean you want to act on generations or you want to read the news? You know, for Mm. her, um, pursuing a a career in acting was either I'll be on generations or if I'm a journalist, I'm definitely going to read the news. Mm. So that conversation then just resulted in me saying, okay, let me just choose um, something that doesn't need me to to have great maths because I promise you my maths and metric really sucked. <laughs> and then, go. So I applied for law and psychology. Psychology mainly, well, law mainly because I didn't need maths. Um, and psychology was just an interest that I also wanted to pursue. And then I still just took my chances and, 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 and put journalism. Then I got accepted for law and I really never looked back. Mm. And... For me, once I was, you know, 
pursuing the degree, I started learning a lot of things that started making sense to me. For example, um, noticing why certain things turned out the way they did when my parents got divorced. Mm. I still managed to park that. And um, once I was done with my studies, I, I, I started um, my articles and a lot of the work that I did was commercial. Mm. Um, very, 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 very commercial intensive. Family law was really not in my, in, in, in my realm. It wasn't in, 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 you know, in my peripheral. I was just pursuing commercial. Mm. And while I was in corporate, I mean, I know you have conversations around this a lot, but while I was in corporate, the lack of transformation and representation mm. um, and, and, and the lack of accountability for, for, for issues of racism and transformation not coming up enough really just made me become passionate about pursuing my own thing. Mm. That is from that frustration of not seeing enough black women, um, you know, like me in senior roles in the legal profession or at least in the company that I worked for, I was like, I don't, I don't like this narrative. Mm. I want to start my own thing that will give black women in the legal profession a voice. Mm. But at the time, I didn't know what that looked like. Um, and then I started collective intelligence. And that was basically to um, provide uh, small and growing businesses with comprehensive legal advices away from mainstream or traditional law firms. Mm. Um, I wanted to offer a service that that entrepreneurs can budget on, you know, knowing for sure that this contract will cost you 10,000 rand and it won't be built hourly. You won't go blindly into this. Mm. And um, as, as, as I was in, in, in the thick of things, um, a lot of my, my, my um, clients ended up being females, uh, naturally. And then, you know, they'd always just ask questions about divorce, about marriage, um, about child maintenance, uh, simple things like how can they get protection orders or, 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 you know, maintenance orders granted against their baby daddies. And I was like, this is actually information that needs to be available. You know, mm. it, 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 one doesn't have to go for a consultation or find themselves in a courtroom to have access to this kind of education. Mm. And that's when really Sustain Law was born as a passion project more than anything to educate and empower women through legal education. Because, um, you know, that was, for me, that was a, a bridge between the courtroom or, or an attorney's mm. office and the lay woman on the street who really needs a little bit of knowledge on this kind of information so that they can make better decisions mm. to improve their own lives and to improve their family lives. Mm. So that's really how sustained law came about. Now, and you know, as somebody who has also been through the corporate route and now have found myself doing work that is actually, it fuels a passion, right? Um, mm. I know for me the 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 catalyst into getting into the space of doing this work was really from I guess acknowledging uh the environments that I was in which meant that I had to be conscious of what was happening around me um but also it comes from a place of pain having gone through something painful and not wanting other people to experience the same kind of pain you know um, and when we speak about the law, there are so many variants when you talk about what kind of pain can be a result of either not understanding the law or not having the resources 
to be able to get legal representation. And so there's so many different things that we could speak about within that context. But first, I want to talk about something which is a very big issue in South Africa specifically, which is customary marriages. You know, there's been so many back and forths about is it legally recognized or not? You know, if people are customarily married and somebody dies, does the if the husband dies, does the wife have the rights to, you know, um, get whatever assets or whatever that he has left behind? Or does can his family come in and just claim everything? Um, if he's customarily married, but then he goes and ha- marries somebody else legally, <laughs> the Western way, you know, does that then take away the customary wife's rights? So how can, what what is the actual situation around that legally? Okay, I think we should like take it to the beginning, beginning. Mm. First and foremost, um, you know, not a lot of people have the kind of knowledge that customary law is in the constitution. Mm. Everybody has a right to practice their customs and their cultural practices, their traditional practices. Mm. And giving rise to the customary practice of customary marriages is the Recognition of Customary Marriages Act. Mm. And under that act, there are three requirements for what constitutes a valid customary marriage. Mm namely that um, the parties must be over 18. Secondly, the parties must give consent to being married under customary law. Thirdly, that union must be uh, negotiated and celebrated in accordance with customary law. Mm. So we use a blanket approach, obviously, because of the diversity that exists in South Africa. Mm. So what what constitutes a marriage in, in, in Isizulu might not be the same for Botswana. Mm. But if those three requirements are met, um, you, you know, using a, a, a blanket approach, mm. then the, the, the law will say that you are married under customary law. Mm. I like at the beginning that you, you know, made um, references to what happens if a man then gets married legally or in a Western manner. Mm. Um, that is then called a civil marriage. Mm. And that second marriage will be invalid because the law doesn't recognize a polygamous civil marriage. Mm. The law also does not allow you to enter into a subsequent marriage if you're married under customary law, which is a civil marriage. You can Mm. only enter into a subsequent polygamous marriage. Mm. So in the event that somebody is married customarily and then they go to home affairs with um, their second partner and they decide to enter a civil marriage, that marriage will be invalid. In fact, if anything, um, uh, you know, it, it's a criminal offense mm. for the man to do that. Um, the the once those three requirements that I mentioned have been met, then whether or not you have registered your customary union at home affairs, it is valid. Mm. So the absence of registration is not the absence of a valid customary marriage. Mm. Hmm. So okay. that's a lot of that's 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 the main um you know point of, of of education that I try to push with women you know don't be uh swindled into believing that because you didn't go to home affairs then there's no marriage mm. I know a lot of women have walked away with nothing mm. not knowing that um you know their the, the customary marriage didn't have to be registered at home affairs in order for it to 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 be valid but as long as the three requirements were met then they are married and if there was no anti-nuptial contract concluded before 
the celebration or, or, or the negotiations, mm. then that marriage is said to have been in community of property. Essentially, um, what I'm saying is that a lot of women have walked away from in community of property marriages with nothing instead mm. of walking away with half of the house or half of the assets, for example. Mm-hmm. Okay, so now if um, a woman does enter into a customary marriage, um and should then there be a dispute at some point there's a breakup or whatever or he dies or whatever the case is um and she has to prove that within you know the cultural requirements uh they they did actually get married how can women best prepare themselves um to have to prove that they are actually that their marriage is recognized as a customary marriage mm-hmm. You know, nowadays, I actually really appreciate the the power of social media. We saw that, um, uh, you know, or or rather the power of technology. We mm. saw with uh, particularly Lagato's case, the WHP case, mm. that um, there was then evidence in the form of a video that showed that there was indeed a celebration and, and she was indeed welcomed into the family um, through the through the the father saying, welcome, Makoti, or something along mm. those lines. But ordinarily, um, you know, I always encourage women to ensure that their home affairs are in order, meaning that they need to have conversations with their husbands, you know. It needs to be an open relationship that in the event that you die, um, do you have a will? What's going to happen to me and the children? What's going to happen to the house? Mm -hmm. If we don't have children, what's going to happen to the assets? That will is the is the last will and testimony of 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 the husband and no family member can override that because in as much as you know um particularly black families don't understand that if um if 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 a husband dies and he doesn't have a will everything automatically goes to the wife if there are no children in question mm. if there are children in question then the estate the interstate uh, interstate estate will be divided between uh, the surviving spouse and the children mm. but black families don't understand this they automatically think that if the husband passes away then this is our husband's this is our 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 son's assets mm. get out of our son's house bring his children mm. and that is incorrect it's just that women don't know that they can um, contest this in court. And again, it goes back to um, what you said at the beginning. Uh, you said something about pain also rests in not having the resources. Mm. So even if you do know that um, legally speaking, you were, you were supposed to inherit your late husband's intestate estate, that is, i.e. him passing away without a will, then you don't always have the resources to go fight that in court. Mm. And fighting that in court is obviously a timeless and a costly battle. Mm. And emotionally straining. Emotionally straining, yeah. Absolutely. Okay, so you touched a, um, a bit on um, being married in community of property. <laughs> And this is a, a topic for me that's always so interesting. I mean, obviously, when I was much younger, um, you know, when thinking about the, the idea of marriage, you're just like, oh, no, definitely. We will never get a prenup. <laughs> Why on earth would we do that? We love each other. <laughs> We're never going to break up. I know, I know that's how we do. But um, the interesting thing for me was um, a few years ago, I was engaged, um, even though we didn't actually get married eventually, but I was engaged. And part of that process required 
making a decision about that, um, you know, while we were still in the planning stages. And he was like, you know, he's down for whatever. And I was like, what the hell do you mean? We are getting a prenup, sir. Like, because I, I, I understood for myself what the ramifications of those various options were. But as an attorney, could you please explain to us what the difference between being in community of property is versus having an, a, a prenup? Um, and what are the risks um, that are associated with each as well as the pros? Very well. Um, so under our law, we recognize marriages in community of property. That's where there has been no antinatural contract, which is a prenup. We just call it an antinatural contract in South Africa. Mm-hmm. Um, prenup is American. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if there's no if there's no contract between the two of you, then the assets that each person has and the debts that each person has, when they become married, those become those fall into the joint estate, mm. meaning that you are going to take on your partner's um, 200K loan and he's going to take on your 500K worth of assets and mm. everything will be split down the middle. That's what it essentially is. So any, any, any assets or any debts that you have accrued before you got married will then form part of the joint estate. Mm. The disadvantage of this is um, obviously if one person is, you know, maybe works for themselves and there's always a risk attached to the fact that things won't go well in business. I mm. mean, we are in the middle of a pandemic. Mm. In the event that um, the court needs to come and, you know, attach assets to to make good the judgment debt or, 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 or you know, to make good credit claims, then they can attach the house regardless of whose name it's in. Mm. Um, they can attach like everything down to your teaspoons and, and the clothes in your back regardless of, of whose name they fall under because mm. they'll belong to the joint estate. Mm. Then um, you have what is called out of community of property with accrual and you have out of community of property without accrual. Mm-hmm. These uh, come about by, by, by virtue of concluding the antinatural contract that I spoke about which is a document which will regulate your assets um, post-marriage. Mm. So if you have a antinatural contract with accrual, all that that means is that at the end of the marriage, whether dissolved by, by divorce or, or death, then the party whose estate showed the least growth will have a claim in the party's estate who showed the most growth. Mm-hmm. So if, if 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 your husband's estate, for example, at the end of the marriage is two hundred thousand, and yours is five hundred thousand, then that those two will be subtracted from each other, and the difference is what you guys will share fifty fifty. Mm. And the reason for that is because the court, you know, wanted, uh, or rather, the law wanted a way for partners to walk away from a marriage on equal footing. Mm. And then the last um, regime is. Um, without accrual mm. and that basically means that whatever you came in with is what you leave is what you leave with mm. so your assets and your and your debts remain separate you don't need each other's consent to conclude certain agreements and um one being insolvent or in debt will not affect the other party so 
if you if you're in business and very prone to risk in the event that things don't work out for you then your husband doesn't have to be liable for your debts and he also won't be um declared insolvent in the event that you are declared insolvent mm. okay um so when we have situations for instance where um a, a, a couple decides to get married and say they relatively are on equal footing financially. Um, they sign an, an anti-nuptial, perhaps without accrual, let's say, right? Um, and then once they're in the marriage, they decide, okay, they want to have children. Um, and the husband says, um, you know, would you be okay with being a stay-at-home mom, uh, raising the kids? I will take care of us financially. I've got the means. My career is going great. I'm making so much money. Um, I will give you, you know, an allowance <laughs> to mm. take care of the things that you want and need to take care of, right? So now her source of income is directly from the husband for a certain number of years. But at some point they decide the marriage is not working out. Um, she wants a divorce or he wants a divorce, what then can she have done beforehand to ensure that should the marriage end as a result of her decision or their agreement that she would be a stay-at-home, a stay-at-home mom, that when the marriage is dissolved, uh, she's not walking away broke because now her only source of income uh, is no longer there? During the divorce proceedings, depending on also um, which party was at fault, there is what we call a forfeiture of um benefits Mm. which will basically speak to the fact that you know um i stayed at home to look after the kids blah 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 therefore i deserve a portion of the estate that that you have accumulated because i enabled you Mm. to work up that estate you can also apply for what is called spousal maintenance Mm -hmm. That is not automatic. The court will look at various factors, including the age of the wife. Obviously, obviously, if she's 27, um, she won't be in the same position as she'd be if she were 50. She's more likely to get a job or, you know, go back to studying at mm. that young age. We will also look at, you know, the overall um, affordability of the husband and the kind of lifestyle that the parties actually lived before the divorce. Mm. Um, obviously, you know, for spousal maintenance, if you never, if you didn't go, you know, on, on, on exotic holidays twice a year, you can't now claim that as part of your, your spousal maintenance. It has to be for the kind of lifestyle that you are accustomed to during the marriage. Mm. So those are the two options um, that, that, that one has. And it's very rarely that um, the court will allow a woman and her children to walk away with completely nothing, especially in a scenario where she enabled the man to build his estate Mm, mm. okay now that's that's very interesting and i think um it's certainly something that would be helpful for so many people because we all of us know at least one person who is a stay-at-home mom and i always wonder to myself you know are people sufficiently insulated legally should anything happen in this union, you know, where they find themselves, you know, either divorced or no longer having access to the financial resources that, you know, kind of help support them. Now, the other thing, yeah. Once again, like I said to you earlier, um, you know, all all these things Mm. really just go back to 
you know, the lack of resources. Yes. At the end of the day, it isn't a secret that women generally don't have the resources mm. to get into long court battles. Mm. So when they're presented with a summons, they're just like, oh, I don't have money to fight this. Yeah. Um, you know, women also don't always know that, um, you know, in, in, in the court proceedings, she can claim that the husband pays for the legal ongoing costs, especially mm. if he's in a position, if, if, he, if he's wealthy and well off, you know, women always think that the money has to come directly from their pockets. It doesn't. The husband mm. can pay for um, the legal costs under the spousal maintenance mm. that, that I spoke about earlier. And for women who are going through a divorce and their husband is like exceptionally successful, lots of assets, lots of, you know, various properties, you know, whatever the case may be, money coming in, um, what can women do when, you know, they are going through a divorce and they are kind of in the process of looking at assets, um, you know, that each partner has, but then you have a case of the husband hiding assets or redirecting funds to make it appear as though he's not making as much as he's making. What are the what are the different ways in which women can, where can they find support in terms of, you know, researching investigating you know where these people are redirecting their assets that's a good question thank you um i like saying that at the end of the day your case is as strong as your attorney's appetite you really 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 have to have an attorney who's willing to fight tooth and nail for you mm. you, you, you know, rather have an attorney who's petty who's mm. just like nah let's get a private investigator to look into his affair no, mm. let's subpoena his bank statements, you know. Mm. No, let's do this. Let's find out why he really formed a trust or why he really formed a company. Mm. You know, um we, we, we have we have things like like intention over form. So if his intention was to defraud the the the, the marriage or or you know the, the anti nuptial contract, then the court can overturn that in favor of the woman. Mm. So like like I said, it's always it's always just depending on how how you know strong your attorney's appetite is to 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 you know request some of these things because if they're not prayed for in in the pleadings in the court papers then the court is not just going to be like oh you know what actually we just read in the paper that this man is high profile mm. um so we're going to award the wife xyz it has to be your attorney that puts those requests all in the in the court papers mm. Okay. And then um child maintenance. <laughs> like it's one of those things honestly just just talking about it makes me tired. Um yeah. you know yeah. for for those of us who are in social media this especially within South Africa where it is actually, you know, the the rate at which black women are single parents is actually mm-hmm. astronomical. Um, and the number of women who complain about not getting financial support uh, from fathers to help raise their kids is astounding. Or fathers who will be on social media gloating about how much they're spending on bottles of champagne and whiskey at the club, but don't want to pay anything towards the child. It can be very frustrating and very it can make so many people feel hopeless because I mean, we all know and research has shown 
that black women are in most instances the breadwinners in their homes. They are the ones who are responsible for managing the finances and determining what needs to be bought or paid for and all of that stuff. And they also have the most pressure on their finances. Um, and so, you know, even when thinking about going to maintenance court for a lot of people, it's like, what's the point? You know, um, so what can what do we need to know about child maintenance and the law? Sure. So with child maintenance, mm. right, my favorite sort of recourse to a man who's not paying child maintenance is him to sort of be publicly embarrassed mm. i always imagine a scenario where a man is being arrested for his maintenance being in areas you know arrested from his place of work mm. i mean or arrested at his place of work or arrested when he's popping those bottles you know but the only way he can be arrested for for his maintenance being in areas is if there was a maintenance order against him mm. if there's no maintenance order then he is not in, uh, um him paying towards the child's expenses is not contempt of court. Mm. The thing that will that will make a man accountable, go to jail or pay a fine for his salary to be deducted before it even reaches his account mm. is the maintenance order. Mm. And failure for him to comply to that maintenance order is contempt of court, which is punishable through being arrested or or or, or paying a fine. Mm. So it all starts with women actually pursuing the actual maintenance case, regardless of how you know independent a woman thinks. I always say, it, you think she is. I always say, then just put that money in a trust. Mm. Men keep getting away with all these things because they know that there's no accountability. They know that ah, oh, Sile doesn't like um drama. Uh, Sile has got a very good reputation on social media, so she won't want to do anything where her name might be tainted as, ooh, Sile baby mama drama, mm, you know? Mm. So men take advantage of these things because they know. Um, same same as, as, as gender-based violence. Men have never seen their friends going to jail for this. Mm. They've never seen their brothers going to jail for raping mm. a woman. They've never seen their fathers be arrested. Their mothers, their mothers didn't press charges. Their mothers didn't see the court case through. Their, their sisters um, didn't see the court cases through against their abusers. Mm. So men know that there's no accountability for things like domestic violence or walking away from their children because women don't see these things through. Mm. You know, I, I, I don't know if that's making sense. Yeah. Obviously not trying to, you know, victim blame anyone or whatever but it really is unfortunate that the burden of admin and the burden of seeing some of these cases you know go to court or seeing some of these men to go to jail lies with us as women it's, mm. it, it's a double burden on us it's a double burden on parenting it's a double burden on being a woman mm. Mm. absolutely um, so you also have um, a podcast, right? Um, what what? So tell us a little bit about that. What is it called? Uh, where can people listen in? And also, what types of topics do you cover that women would be able to to learn from and get some great insights from as well? Mm-hmm. So um, remember in the conversation earlier, I said when I first left corporate, I knew that I wanted to give black women in the profession a voice, but I didn't know how to go about it. Mm -hmm. 
I never imagined that it would be in the form of a podcast, but the mm-hmm. podcast is called Sisters in Conversation. Mm-hmm. And I profile black women and women of color in the legal profession because mm-hmm. I believe that there are so many trailblazing women who are often covered by, you know, white male and pale kind of, you know, fronts or whatever the case is, that their voices are often unheard in the profession mm. with regards to the work that they do professionally, mm. with regards to the work that they do outside of work, whether it be volunteering, community building and so forth. So I really just wanted a platform that gives black women in the legal space a voice. Mm. And the topics that we cover there are very versatile they will appeal to somebody who isn't in the profession because we speak on issues of transformation Mm. you know um lack of representation and transformation isn't something that's only arrived in the legal in the legal industry for example in the legal profession it is like that in corporate south africa so those are kind of topics that people can relate to we also cover issues of domestic violence that Mm. is not you know, only a topic that women in the legal profession can can be activists against or, or, or advocates for. Mm. Uh, it, it, it's, it's topics that other women from other spheres, other women from society in general can be a part of. And then we also cover conversations around, you know, um, where, where our own policies and our own laws can do better, how mm. can we change the, the narrative of, of certain outcomes. We speak about racism. Black Lives Matter has been like one of the big topics in the in, in the past few weeks on the right. podcast. And we just cover lots of issues um you know of intersectionality. Mm. 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 Now you often tweet a lot about you know legal issues as it relates to social contexts. Um, mm. you know, I've seen a lot of posts of yours about, you know, customary marriages, about educating people about why it's important to have some sort of anti nuptial agreement before you get married. Um, so for people who do want to to follow you, to be part of your conversations and to learn uh from, you know, the knowledge that you have to share, um, where can they connect with you online? Mm-hmm. Um, first and foremost, they can visit the website, which has great articles, and it will generally lead you to all the resources, which is www.sisterinlaw.co.za. Sister was one word, S-I-S-T-E-R, um, in law.co.za. They can also follow me on all my social media pages at bells underscore mutswane with a Z and they can also follow Sister in Law on all social media profiles. It's, it won't be difficult to find. Okay, perfect. I think it's such a, you know, whenever you speak about the law, I mean, a lot of the issues that we deal with, you know, as this, particularly as black women are so intricate and so layered that the conversations could go on forever and I wish we had the time to delve into everything in so much more detail. But thank you so much for for being part of this conversation and also for the work that you're doing on your own platforms because, you know, educating people um, is one of the most critical things that we can do to begin to change the tide and particularly for marginalized groups 
which is largely black women in so many spaces within this world. So thank you so much, uh, Debella, for joining me for this conversation. And may you continue to be fortified to do the work that you're doing. Thank you. Thank you so much, Sikhe. Um, Platforms like yours are very, very important. Um, although, you know, on, on social media, all, all of us, we tend to overlap with each other, having the same followers or, or being in the same circles. I always say that if, if one extra platform can reach one more woman, then my job is done. Absolutely. I completely agree thank with you. that. And thank you for joining us for another episode of the Workplace Revolution with me, Sile Polani. I will see you again next time.